Hello, everyone. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon. And this is New Tricks for Old Dogs. Our podcast features the many ways us older men and women howl at the moon, odd news items you don't normally hear about, and conversations with other old dogs who are growing bolder, not older. So if you've got 25 minutes or so, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, and join us. In this episode, the old dogs ramble about talking to strangers. Would you? Should you? We talk about cheeseburger advertising that was too good to resist. We dig back in our linguistic past for old insults. We imagine how life on Mars would be here on Earth. We examine the cultural divide between North and South Korea and get the benefits of talking to strangers. The Old Dog's conversation is with Craig Mimbiol, a guy who did many things well for money and now does many things well for love. Stay with us. Hey kids, what time is it? It's time to ramble. Yes. Yeah. What's on your mind? One of our pod nuggets is about a book called The Power of Strangers, The Benefits of Connecting in a Suspicious World. And the author claims that uh, we have too much reluctance to uh, talk to strangers. Uh, as a result, we are missing out on uh, possibly enjoyable conversations with people. And I was just wondering what your thoughts were on that. Wow. Well, of course, as kids, we were always taught never to talk to strangers, dangerous strangers. You know, there were movies about it. And sometimes relatives that were on the margin. <laughs> Don't talk to Aunt Louise. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, even in today's climate, we are somewhat suspicious of strangers because there's been so much danger in the news, you know, danger everywhere we look, we get paranoid about it. And yet, I know that our experience with talking to people that we have not known before has been positive. And every time I do initiate a conversation or my wife initiates a conversation with somebody, it proves to be very powerful and rewarding. Right. So how often do you do it? I'll tell you what, every time we go out to eat, which is not that frequent anymore, but we have done this for actually several years now, we always engage our server in some kind of conversation. Well, and what he's advocating in his book is that we should take a look at it. Mm -hmm. Are there reasons we don't approach a stranger yeah. and talk to them that uh, are no longer operative in our life? You know, if it's some uh, parental directive, for example, about strangers are dangerous, then maybe it's time to take a look at that. Um, or if we have some built-in inhibitions like, but gee, I wouldn't like to be disturbed if I'm waiting in line. Uh, mm -hmm. eh, okay, I won't, uh, I won't disturb this other person. But um, I, I think that an end product of our initiating conversations with strangers is going to be a friendlier community. I agree, because it may precipitate a, a breakdown of our prejudices among people that we have classified as undesirable, just as a class of people. And yeah. there's no reason for doing that, ever. Yeah, yeah you, you're right. We tend to do that. We, we all have prejudices. Um, and if we see somebody that for some reason we kind of uh, check them off the list because, uh, oh, they won't have anything interesting to say, we're denying ourselves uh, probably some connection with interesting people. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. On the other hand, Jim, I think we have to admit there are some situations where you don't want to initiate a conversation. For example, let's say you're surrounded uh, by a bunch of bikers. Hell's Angels don't like casual conversations. I wouldn't start a conversation. All right. I think you're being prejudiced there. Uh-huh. On the other hand, I would certainly not approach, let's say, the tuba player in a marching band while they're marching. Oh, Okay, well, you're limiting yourself, but okay. All right, it's my prerogative. That makes that makes sense. Or how about a jet pilot? They're, you're probably not going <laughs> right, to right. have a very good conversation. Yeah. Hello? Yeah. A Russian woman is suing McDonald's because their advertising was too irresistible. <laughs> this pod nugget is from The Insider for August 7, 2021. She is claiming that a McDonald's ad was so compelling that she broke her fast for Lent by zipping into the nearest Mickey D's and ordering a cheeseburger. After consuming the evidence, <laughs> the lady then accused the fast food chain of breaking consumer protection law and insulting her religious feelings. In the first place, the lady has some serious dietary issues if she finds McDonald's cheeseburgers irresistible. And in the second place, she's only asking for 1,000 rubles compensation for mortal damages. Which is only about $14. (laughs) Well, that's a pretty cheap price for moral damage, Paul, Mm -hmm. which makes you think there wasn't that much to damage. Well, we hope she wins her suit and can afford lunch in a more suitable fast food place. These are tense times, as witnessed by the public squabbles that are happening with more frequency. A possible alternative to fisticuffs is to substitute ancient insults for four-letter words. Our source for these 19th century put-downs is the Art of Manliness website. We see it in the news every day. Disagreements that escalate into road rancor, airplane wrestling matches, and restaurant kerfuffles. Invariably, it starts with intemperate language. Well, we offer some substitute language that we have mined from the 1800s. These long-forgotten insults are more likely to promote laughter than anger. For example, an afternoon farmer rises late and is behind in his chores. He's a person who misses out on opportunities. If you call someone a death's head upon a mop stick... You mean a poor, miserable, emaciated fellow that looks like death. A gentleman of four outs is a vulgar, blustering fellow without wit, without money, without credit, and without manners. A blunderbuss or a dunderhead is a dumb, blundering blockhead. If someone is cow-handed, they're awkward. If they're also tall, they are then the Duke of Limbs. A Grumbletonian is a discontent who is always railing against the times. A Nigmanog or a Ninny Hammer <laughs> is a fool and a simpleton. A Saucebox is a bold or forward person. And finally, one of our favorites, if you are an unlicked cub, you are a loutish youth who has never been taught manners. Well, the aim of all these put-downs is to confuse, not confront. As an adversary puzzles over the meaning of these insults, there should be plenty of time for a getaway. Anyone interested in pretending they're on Mars for a year? NASA hopes to find four paid volunteers who are willing to be part of such an experiment. This pod nugget is from Sky News for August 7, 2021. Home for the volunteers is a 1,700-square-foot simulated Martian habitat located inside a building at the Johnson Space Center. 
For a year, they will carry out a pretend mission including spacewalks, ready-to-eat space food, limited resources, and planned equipment failures. Applicants have to hold a master's degree in science, engineering, or math, or have pilot experience. They must be between 30 and 55, in good physical health, and not prone to motion sickness. The idea is to match the profile of the actual astronauts, even though it's only let's pretend. One NASA official encouraged sign-ups by saying the experience could involve incredible freedom in a year away from the demands of your normal life. Right, we get the picture. So, if you are unemployed, still living with your parents, or in the Witness Protection Program, you might consider applying. Kim Jong-un is an unending source of dictator missteps. Oh, I'll say. This time, he's trying to control the tastes of teenagers. This pod nugget is from Sky News for July 19th, 2021. Late last year, harsh new measures were introduced that fined parents if their children were caught enjoying South Korean entertainment or copying South Korean speech, clothes, hairstyles, music preferences, and, oh my God, dancing styles. If discovered possessing media from South Korea, the offender could face 15 years in prison. Additional penalties could result from possessing unregistered televisions, radios, computers, and mobile phones. A life sentence could be imposed if convicted of importing banned material from South Korea. A death penalty could Ugh. result from importing large amounts of content from the U.S. or Japan. Last month, Mr. Un compared K-pop to a vicious cancer that could make North Korea crumble like a damp wall. <laughs> oh, yeah, like it's not <laughs> doing poetry, that. That's huh? isn't it? Almost. Mm. K-pop is South Korean popular music that has a large international following. You know, it sounds like someone needs to refill his Valium mm -hmm. prescription, huh? Yep. He should stick with rocket science where he has a chance at success. As any parent or grandparent of a teenager knows, the forbidden is catnip to a teen. Parents generally raise their children to be wary of strangers. As these children become adults, they retain a reluctance to connect with people they don't know. Perhaps they're missing out on some human connection. This pod nugget is from The Atlantic for August 4th, 2021. We've all experienced the pleasant surprise of a spontaneous conversation with a stranger. Perhaps it was in a coffee shop, an airplane, or a bookstore, when our natural curiosity about the stranger prompted a question which led to an interesting conversation. Joe Cohane is the author of The Power of Strangers, The Benefits of Connecting in a Suspicious World. He suggests in his book that talking with strangers can make us happier and more connected to our communities. Additional benefits include being more trusting and optimistic. Psychologist Jillian Sandstrom considered herself an introvert. One day, she initiated a conversation on the subway with a woman holding a box of elaborate cupcakes. As a result, she had a delightful conversation that made her feel so good she wanted to do it again. So Sandstrom decided she wanted to study this phenomenon. She set up an experiment asking a group of adults to chat with their barista when they got their morning coffee. This is a situation where people normally don't engage people behind the counter. Sandstrom thought this lack of connecting was denying a hidden source of belonging and happiness. And you know, she was right. The participants who talked to their barista felt a stronger sense of community and an improved mood. Other researchers have come to similar conclusions. So why don't people connect with strangers more often if it's so good for us? 
Well, there are issues informed by race, class, gender, and culture. Sandstrom has a simpler explanation. She feels that people just don't know how to do it. The trick is to have a lot of conversations until you're comfortable connecting with strangers. So, the next time you feel isolated in a group, push out of your comfort zone and start a conversation. You may make a new friend. I presume they're not advocating doing this on a dark night in an alleyway. Or in a cemetery. Craig Mimbiol was a gifted teacher who turned to the corporate world to provide for his family. When he left marketing, he entered a new phase of life that keeps him busy helping less fortunate families. Craig, help me. I know you and Jim have a history going way back, but could you tell me a little bit about uh, what you did prior to retirement? Well, my uh, adult career started with 13 years in uh, education, after which I I made a shift and um, joined a gentleman who became a very good friend. He and I started a company, uh, and we were doing market research for professional services firms, accounting firms and law firms, all over the United States and Canada. And we did that for about seven years. I then joined Pricewaterhouse. It's now uh, PwC as a director of marketing communications. So I was there 20 years as the only person in the office who had never had a class in accounting in his entire life, uh, trying to convince a bunch of accountants that the notion of marketing and um, professional services marketing and even selling God forbid, was an important part of the, what they do for a living and the growth of their practice. I really valued that experience. It was great for me. It helped me achieve some life goals about putting my kids through college without huge debt and uh, creating a retirement where I was not responsible to anybody else and we could take care of ourselves. You spent a fairly good slice of your life in public education. Why did that lose interest for you? I guess the primary reason was that three years working as principal of a Catholic high school showed me that if I was going to achieve those two life goals of putting two boys through college and enjoying a decent retirement, it wasn't going to happen working for the Catholics. (laughs) So, I mean, to be blunt. So even throughout my career, Uh, In the marketing firm, my role was taking the results of our studies out to the marketplaces and teaching Hmm. professionals in those major firms what it meant to be market active in growing their practice. And then when I was at Pricewaterhouse, um, I was doing the same thing internally for a couple of offices but I was also active in the, um, the accounting uh, professional association, teaching classes um, on speaking, on uh, writing. So I left it, but I never left it. Well, it sounds like you were blessed with an occupation, a job that was consuming, gratifying. Uh, so tell me what happened after retirement. Wasn't there a big gap there? No. I was lucky. Uh, I got to spend some, well, with Price Waterhouse, for example. Uh, retirement is required at age 60. 
so that they leave room for the young guys coming up into the partnership. Well, I was over 60, so I was the oldest person in the office. <laughs> and I could watch some of these guys for whom I had tremendous respect, uh, who did prepare themselves for retirement and others who did not. Uh, being a partner in a major international accounting firm is a extremely high pressure, high time intensive position. And some of these guys left with nothing but the golf course to look forward to. Mm. Uh, others made some preparations. Uh, I was fortunate. Um, I had some things that I wanted to do, uh, including the volunteer kind of thing that I suspect we're going to talk about a little bit. Um, and then as Jim will probably tell you, I make wooden toys, simple wooden cars and trucks and trains and stuff for little kids. I do that on a regular basis and donate the toys to charities. So that keeps me very busy down in my cave in our house. And it works that you know, my wife married me for better, for worse, and not usually for breakfast or lunch. So keeps me out of her way and keeps me busy. Was that your wife's idea? No, that, that was my idea. But oh, okay. Wholeheartedly approved. <laughs> Rarely does she set foot therein. <laughs> <laughs> With good reason. Uh, yeah. Craig, what you have been saying about planning for retirement, do you think that it is true that people identify with their job persona so much, who they think they are uh, in their working life, that they can't imagine themselves being anything else? And what experience did you have with that? Uh, I would totally agree with that, Jim. Um, I think that identification, especially among very successful people, is so intense that you know, the identity becomes the job which then makes retirement that much more difficult if there is you know, a lesser portion of personal identity uh, not associated with the job. Parenting and grandparenting, I think, helps fill a lot of that space. Hmm. You could laugh about me down here in the ridges and hollers of Tennessee uh, with our kids, but it's been one of the joys of my life has been to work with my wife and my son and my daughter-in-law, you know, developing this 70 acres of paradise down here and enjoying it. Well, tell me some more. What are you developing? What uh, is taking your time on your property? Well, we started almost from scratch, Paul. Um, we've got 70 acres. So we had to work with contractors to bring in roads, bring in water, electricity. Um, so almost every time we come, there's some fix up things to do. Um, I've been, a, I've turned into a bit of a lumberjack, although I don't trust myself with a chainsaw much anymore at my advanced age. Well, it sounds you have a pretty busy life. Now, how did you come to be involved with movers and shakers? It's a good story. When my mother passed away, uh, I being the oldest of five brothers, was responsible for the estate. And a big part of that was taking care of the condo. And I heard from her best friend that there was a group that could really use the mattresses from my mother's house 
uh, and even some of the furniture if there was something to be donated. So uh, this friend of my mother's introduced me to the movers and shakers. And that was, you know, seven years ago. Um, and they came out and grabbed a bunch of the furniture early on, leaving us enough so that the condo looked decent for being sold. When it was sold, they came and took the rest. And uh, watching these guys work, I said, you know, I could do that. And so I joined up with them. And as a matter of fact, I was on the team that delivered my mother's living room couch to a needy family in Pontiac, a couch that I had been told for years to keep my dirty feet off of. <laughs> now, now I was going to a family that, that could make use of it. These are all retired people, right? Yes. And doing Everyone. heavy lifting. <laughs> uh, yeah, we are very fortunate to have a range of ages in the group, including a couple of guys that go by the subtitle of heavy lifters. And one of the great things about the group is how the members of the group look out for each other. So you'll see, you know, three guys carrying a couch and somebody coming down the stairs the other way saying, you okay with that? You need some more help. I imagine that you have some interaction with the people who receive these goods. Uh, is It's not all impersonal handoff, right? No, you're absolutely right. We do. Yeah. And one of the first things you're taught and you learn quickly is don't judge. Because um, we get into situations which are um, pretty unhappy. Uh, the majority of the folks are so grateful for what they're getting. I mean, when you walk into a, you know, a house where you know the kids have been sleeping on the floor and therefore at risk of being taken away from their parents and you're providing a bed frame and a box spring and a mattress. I assume they're all guys uh, that are consist of movers and shakers. Uh, no, not exactly. It started out that way, Jim. But what happened was in the downstairs of this old uh, gymnasium building that we've been allowed to use turned into a store. It's like, it's like an ongoing garage sale of household goods. Uh, and the women, many of whom are wives of the movers and shakers, run that part of the business. It seems to me that people our age are largely an untapped resource for volunteering. And if anything, I would say this is a, a, a good example of something that has brought a lot of meaning to your life. I would totally agree with that. Uh, one of the things that we noticed this past year with COVID, where we had to essentially shut down. But what we noticed was how much the guys in Movers and Shakers missed the camaraderie of being together, even though it was only one day a week to do something worthwhile, to joke around, to commiserate about the hapless Detroit Lions. We missed it. Here you got a bunch of retired guys from scattered backgrounds. You know, we sought out each other indirectly and have formed a community that is helping us in our older age uh, feel important, feeling worthwhile. Um, and doing something that indeed is important and worthwhile. 
Um, there's one more thing I would like to do. I'm going to take your picture. If you look oh. r- right at the camera and give me one of your patented grins. <laughs> okay. That'll do it. <laughs> I thought the one thing you were going to ask for was going to be my mother's spaghetti recipe. Spaghetti recipe. No. no I, That's I, not available, I secret. guess. Huh? It's secret. Like what you've been hearing? How about sharing the joy with your friends? We can always use more listeners. There are more episodes on the way, so stay tuned and keep howling at the moon.